Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Living Real Podcast. My name is Melanie Shaw, your host, as well as founder of Living Real Magazine. The Living Real Podcast is designed to generate Christ-centered conversations about what real faith looks like in everyday real life. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Living Real Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 1, and our discussion today is all about faith and foster care. And I couldn't think of three more qualified individuals to take this one on than my amazing friends, Lacey Hines, Amy Bowen, and Debbie Smith. These godly women have joined me today around my kitchen island for a roundtable discussion about their journeys with fostering and why their families chose to jump into the fire, so to speak, to rescue numerous children. So welcome, ladies. Thank Thank you. you. Glad you're here. So instead of me telling our audience who you are, I would like for each of you to introduce yourselves. Tell us how long you've been fostering and about how many children you've fostered so far. So let's start with Debbie. Um, I'm Debbie Smith. We've been fostering um, off and on for about 15 years. We've probably had over 100 children come through our home. Wow. That's amazing. All right, Lacey. I'm Lacey Hines, and we have been fostering for almost eight years. And between foster placements and respite care placements and relatives of foster placements, we've also helped with cousins and siblings that were not placed in care for one reason or another. We've had around 33 to 35 kiddos come through our home. Mm, Amazing. Okay. All right. My name is Amy Bowen, and we have been fostering um, for eight years. We fostered for several years in Tennessee, and we moved to South Carolina and have fostered, continued with foster care, and we have had 32 kids in our home. It just blows my mind that you've had that many kids come in the door, exit. Some of them have stayed, but we're going to learn a lot more about your journeys in just a minute. So, Amy, I'm going to start with you with this question. So, since how faith affects real life is always our overarching theme at Living Real, tell us a little of your story and how faith in Jesus Christ has influenced you and your husband Casey's decision to foster. So um, we have shared a lot about our foster and adoption experience and um, Casey and I um, suffered with infertility and of course with infertility there's a lot of loss, um, hopelessness and I think that instead of getting caught up in those emotions, um, leaning into the father and um, knowing that he is going to provide, he's going to um, bring you what you need when you need it within his time. Um, and so when we started about foster care, I don't think you just can kind of make that decision up on your own. I think you really have to pray about it. You have to really have a village. And um, as far as the Father just kind of leads you. He tells you whether or not you should say yes or if you should say no. He knows and He's going to meet that need. And so um, He has rallied with us. He has held me when I've laid on the floor and cried um, during those moments of sadness. Um, And I was 
faithful before all of this, but going through it and watching what God has done with the children and how much the children have, you've looked at their restoration and their, re their redemption stories. It's just made our faith, um, I think, so much stronger. And I know that the Father has his hand in all of this and that he's going to take care of them. He's going to provide for them. And I don't think we would have made it or lasted eight years if it wouldn't have been for him. Um, so, Wow, that's great. All right, Lacey. So we made the decision to pursue foster care and adoption after um, we lost our own biological baby through a miscarriage. Um, we learned that we should not have biological babies. So we decided to pursue foster care and adoption, um, even though it was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, I think when you are walking with the Lord and you make a decision of this magnitude that could impact so many people, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I heard him clear as day sitting in a church service um, out of town one Sunday. We weren't at our home church. I heard in the middle of worship, God telling me to be brave. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I wrote down in my journal that day. And I was like, okay, God, what does this mean? Like, how, how do you want me to be brave? What are we supposed to be brave doing? And it was foster care and adoption. Mm -hmm. So our journey is a little bit um, unique. We are a second generation foster family. John's family fostered and they adopted five children out of the foster care system. So we had an example, the generation before us to look to and to lean on um, through all of the ups and downs. Um, but there are some things that they couldn't speak to and they couldn't address. And the one thing that we held fast to throughout the last eight years is knowing that God's sovereign and he is above the system mm. he's above the brokenness he holds each one of those children in a way that we can't and never will and we're just thankful for that amen <clears throat> all right Debbie well mine is a little different because I have food poodles of children even before we decided um my grandmother was living with me. She passed away at my house at 96, and I had three toddlers at the time, all under the age of two. Um, working in the community, um, I did a lot with adult protective services and didn't like the way that, that that was being managed. And I actually had a caseworker tell me one day, if you can't fix the system or help fix it, don't complain about it. Well, that night, it was just like, wow. I can't bring another elderly person into my home, but I can bring a child. Well, I went home that afternoon and I told Charles, we're going to be foster parents. And he looked at me and said, are you nuts? <laughs> Three months later, we took in our first baby. Um, the baby came to me with a shirt, a diaper, and no formula, no bottle, no nothing at 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, it was, you know, I put out on social media, you know, can I have, you know, I need help. And just the outpouring of, you know, the support and everything. Well, then we got more children and more children, they just kept on coming. Well, after we adopted two of ours, they, the rule at that time, you could not have five in one household under the age of 18. Well, they closed our case. Well, when my dad got sick and passed away, 
I just kept feeling the, the urge to go back into it. And one night my husband sat up, I'll cry about that. He said, we need to be foster parents again. And the Holy Spirit just spoke and here we are. I mean, you know, we, we're taking them in left and right and I wouldn't change it for the world. And I don't think it's, for us, it's a different aspect. It's about what they have changed in us. Not necessarily what we've been able to give the kids, but how they have changed us. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And can I say too, sure. like, you know, also sometimes we just are there to fill in the gap. And when I say that, we can't do that without the Father. We can't do that without the Spirit and talking to Him. And, you know, He's so faithful to us. He's so faithful to the kids. And, you know, some of these kids come in so broken. And when you have that faith and you have a good church and you have a good support, that faith is what's going to get not only you through that challenging time, but that child. It's going to drive that child to understand the circumstance doesn't make you it's not going to break you your your chains are going to be broken from from god mm. and jesus yeah and That's i think awesome. a lot of times you know we've had parents of the children have come into custody and we've had the children and they see the change in the children and that inspires them to hey maybe i need to get my act together to get my child back and it's really rewarding to see a parent who has turned their life around and willing to work to get their own biological children back. Unfortunately, that's not the majority of the cases, but you know, it's rewarding when you do see that. Mm -hmm. All right, so Debbie, will you um, tell us a little bit about how fostering has led you then to adopt some of these children of your own? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would keep them all, but there has been children who just sort of fell into our laps and they blended into the family. Mm. Um, you know, and, I, and I'll just give you an example. We had a child here a couple years ago, loved him dearly. And, but he just didn't blend. And God kept telling us, he doesn't belong to you. Well, now he belongs to my best friend. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was an infertility story. Mm -hmm. And God just opened those paths. And, you know, now I get to watch him grow up. So, you know, you you know, you know. Mm -hmm. He will let, he will let he you will know. He will let you know. So how many have you adopted out of? Um, we have adopted two. They're now 13 and 14. We adopted them when they were three and five, and we're looking to adopt the two we have now. Great. We have adopted two little ones that we fostered from the time that they were born. They are nine months and seven days apart, so it's almost <laughs> like having twins. It's a circus. Bless your heart. <laughs> and we just found out today that we are adopting our baby girl on November 21st this year. Isn't that awesome? And how long have you had um, the one that you're getting ready to adopt? She will be three at the beginning of October, and we've had her since she was two days old. Very cool. All right. Amy, how many have you adopted now? <laughs> <laughs> so um, we will be adopting our fourth kiddo, um, and so we're still just waiting for a date. 
and we are so excited to add him to our little family. So when you get ready to adopt and it's like, it's time, everything's done, the file's done, all of that stuff, there's a contract you sign and that officially says, this child is going to be yours. Nothing can undo this contract. And once that is complete, then the child is yours forever and ever and ever. Awesome. Ah, I love these stories. <laughs> okay, Lacey, I've watched you personally walk this journey, and the joy that you and John have received is immeasurable. Um, and I'm, you know, privy to some of that, so it's been so much fun. So tell us about some of the joyous moments that you've experienced with these kiddos. We have had so much joy throughout this entire journey. Um, there have been lots and lots of moments where you watch a child that struggled to take their first breaths and struggled in the NICU. Um, you get reports from doctors saying that they may never walk, they may never sit up, and you look at them today and they're advanced and they are thriving and doing things that people said that they may never accomplish but God had a different plan and you can see his hand all over her little life um, so that has brought the most joy um, watching each of our kids grow and thrive in different ways um, growing beyond the brokenness of the reasons that they were brought into our lives in the first place so we've had children come to us severely beaten and um, physically broken in many ways and watching them learn to trust over time has been beautiful. We had a little boy that was a part of our family for several months that um, he was the most physically broken we've ever seen. Um, meeting his needs for the first several weeks were really hard because he was in so much pain from what he had endured. And he was terrified of men, completely mm. terrified. At the beginning, John would walk in the room and he would cower and shake and tremble and scream. Um, but over the course of a few weeks, John could go and sit next to him on the couch. And every once in a while, he would look up at John and just smile. Aww. He never would talk to him, never you know, was overly affectionate with John, but he learned that all men were not horrible. He learned to trust. So those are the things that have filled our hearts with joy and have kept us going. Mm. Good. How about you, Amy? So <clears throat> I would say that there's like numerous things you can say about joy, about foster care. Um, most people always say you're an angel for taking these kids in and <clears throat> to me I'm not the angel they're the true heroes they're the ones that had to endure the trauma um, the physical whatever kind of abuse that they had to endure and they get to come in and a lot of them are so brave at their small age and the fact that they are so resilient and you know, you've heard me say this a lot, but um, one of our little girls that we've adopted, um, she's a great um, redemption story. Mm. She is 
the one that came in and sat on the bed and I still, you know, cry over her because I can remember the sadness, the weight that she felt on her shoulders at three years old um, was daunting. Um, it was just so sad to watch such a little life come into the house and you could feel the sadness um, from her and to look at her now and to like talk to her and just her little life and what God has done and redemption and restoration and just, I mean, what more could you ask? I mean, I just... I mean, everybody has a story, and I always tell people, you're going to have a message, even though your life may have started out with, you know, a mess, or there might have been um, challenges, God's going to create some kind of, something for His glory is going to come out of it. And so, you know, when we talk about joy, we talk about like kiddos who have mm -hmm. come from dark um, places, and they get to leave, they get to leave with a glimmer of hope light they get to shine mm -hmm. and that's what fostering is all about is when they come in how are they gonna leave right mm. that's powerful yeah and I agree with Amy I mean I don't think foster parents are the heroes I think we're just everyday people willing to open our hearts and in our homes I think you know Jesus has to be the center of the home to be able to do this emotionally to, you know because there are struggles and I can remember when you know we brought the two and a half year old home you know and my husband looking at me one day and said when's the last time you took a bath and he was a drug baby and realized it had been a week you know, we had went three, four days with no sleep, just in withdrawals. And to see him now and what he's been able to overcome, because once again, we were told he would never talk. Now we can't shut him up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, it's wonderful to see that, you know, the services that are out there, they can get to, to, to facilitate that and just watch them grow. Well, yeah. and that's such a picture of just all of us before the Lord as an orphan, you know, with, with no future without Christ. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm watching the three of you, I know those listening to the podcast can't see these faces in front of me, but <laughs> all of their eyes are full of tears <laughs> because they're talking about something they're so passionate about, but what they've seen and the joy that, that has been brought to their hearts is, it's overwhelming, actually. It's just, um, but it's a picture of, of Christ and salvation. All right, so now we're going to change gears a little bit, and I'm going to start <laughs> with Amy on this one. All right, we know the joy. We've talked about your journeys. We've talked about a little bit of all of that. So what now would you say would be some of the frustrations along the way of your journey? Because we know it's not all grins and giggles by any means. So what are some of the frustrations you've dealt with as a foster mom? So I would say a lot of it is they call you to get a child they know nothing about the child they know nothing about the situation or they won't tell you and they um, is dss dss okay when they call you um they drop you they drop off a child in the middle of the night of course we all know most of them don't come with anything 
Um, my biggest, biggest pet peeve is dropping them off with a garbage bag or some kind of grocery bag with all their belongings. Um, to me, that presents them as they're trash and they're not. There's so much more. Mm. Um, you know, frustrations uh, with the judicial system, um, the uh, the longevity of the kids being in care. Um, I would say too, um, the big. I think one of the biggest struggles we've had, and I think most foster parents have had, is um, DSS social workers. They can't keep them. They're, um, you know, you'll get one who seems really good and then they're gone. And then you're getting another one who you're having to brief them on the case of the child and having to, because we're seasoned foster parents, I almost feel like we're having to lead them um, and show them the way when really honestly they should be um, showing us the way mm -hmm. and showing us the resources and um, so that would be, I would say, several frustrations. I would love to, um, you know, say that it was better. Um, but, you know, I came from Tennessee. Tennessee were very different mm -hmm. in South Carolina. So I've really gotten to see how different everything is. Um, and so um, those are the biggest frustrations, I would say. Okay. Lacey? I share a lot of the same frustrations as Amy. So... <laughs> <clears throat> We've talked about these time and time again. Um, for us, I think the biggest frustration is watching children languish in care far too long. So a child enters care and there is a timeline and there are policies and procedures that are outlined and written that are supposed to be followed to a T. And it is very, 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 very rare that that ever happens. Hmm. So... We have had the three children that we, the two that we've adopted, the one that we're getting ready to adopt, their timelines should have been much shorter. But continuance after continuance in court because of no agreement or, you know, biological families not willing to comply or any number of reasons. They just throw another continuance. Well, every time there's a continuance, those children stay in care even longer while they have to continue visits with biological family members that may or may not cause more harm than good. Mm -hmm. I think that visits need to be contingent upon the biological family's willingness to comply with the plan put in place. If DSS does not offer a plan for reunification, then those visits need to be terminated. It would just take a court order. Right. These are simple things that along the way could enable these children to live more healthy, well-balanced lives sooner. The judicial mm -hmm. system is a big part of that. I believe the biggest frustration is getting a different judge every single time you go into the courtroom. And those judges have a very limited amount of time to brief themselves on these court cases. But if we were to have a judge from the beginning of a case all the way through to completion, the judge would be familiar with those cases. He wouldn't have to spend a few minutes you know, reading over the case file before the court hearing begins. He would already recognize those names and those faces when they walk into their courtroom and 
they would know whether they're willing to grant another continuance to let this case drag on for three to five years. Mm. Three to five years in foster care is entirely too long. Exactly. That is the biggest frustration for the children and their well-being and for the foster families who care to serve these children. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, Debbie. And I totally agree. You know, um, when DSS calls you to take a placement, you have a right as a foster family to ask these questions. They have no clue. We have had children dropped off at our door that there's no way we could have handled them. Had we known what was wrong with them ahead of time, we would have never accepted placement because these children were beyond what we were capable what you of. you could offer. Mm. Yeah. And they, you know, and they get frustrated when you call them and say, a week later, I can't handle this child. You know, mm-hmm. he needs more care than what I can give him. You know, right. after us being chased around the house with a butcher knife by a child. You know, no, this is not safe for us or this child. Mm-hmm. You know, one of us is staying up 24 hours a day to watch him. You need to, and come to find out, we were like the fifth or sixth foster home they had been in. They don't tell you those things. Wow. They're not upfront and honest because to them, and I've actually had caseworkers tell me, we are just looking for a placement at the time. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a home. Yeah. And then once they're in your home, the judicial system, like you said, um, one of the little little ones I have now, he's been continued about 12 times in two years. In two years? In two years. Man. So there is a lot on the, the frustration end um, to to do better by our little kiddos that we have that need need um, forever families. I also think foster families need to have more training in what services are available to them because over the course of our 15 years, I can't tell you how many times I've been looked at by a caseworker or somebody and said, well, you're just the foster mom or you're just the foster dad. Oh my goodness. No, I'm not. To them, I am their lifeline. Yeah. And, you know, I need to know what resources are available. And I think that's why we can't retain foster families because they're so overwhelmed and they don't know what's out there to them. Sounds like communication is a really, really big big problem. (laughs) All right. Well, Lacey and I are presently serving on the governor's task force to reform foster care and adoption in South Carolina. To say it has been a daunting, jaw-dropping, and amazing adventure thus far is an understatement. But everyone who has contributed to this very important conversation so far has offered valuable insight as to how we can fix a very broken system. And we are determined to continue to shine a light on the fixable issues so that thousands of children, and I mean thousands of children, living in temporary homes will be placed with their forever families in a much timely manner. So, Lacey, this question is for you first. If you were called on tomorrow to implement changes to the system that would benefit the children and the families who are looking to adopt, what would be your top priorities and why? And I know some of this stuff you've already covered, but let's just kind of do a, a, a list and, and see what, what comes up. What would be your priorities? 
the first thing I would do would be to assign a judge from beginning to end of a case because, you know, a lot of what we shared was the length of time children are in foster care from the day they enter until they either are reunified with family, move on to other relative placements, or they are adopted. And I believe if we get that streamlined and get that taken care of, then everything else will kind of start to fall in place. Makes. That's that's a top priority in my mind at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that things within DSS, um, I think that policies and procedures need to be studied very closely. I need to see that some policies and procedures are rewritten and um, implemented quickly because at the end of the day, the well-being of the children in care need to be the top priority. I do not believe that that is always the case. That needs to change and I would change it quickly. Very good. All right, who wants to go next? I'll go. Okay, Danny. I, mean, I, I totally agree with her. I think there needs to be a judge put in first. I think the judge needs to have input based on the charges to developing the treatment plan um, because I have seen so many times that DSS will alter the treatment plan for their convenience, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, I think if a judge court orders it, that judge who follows them all the way through is in control of it and we'll see the progress. I also think there needs to be guidelines on treatment plans. Sometimes they're ordered, okay, you may have six months and nine months to do a treatment plan. That needs to be shortened. If parents are not going to do what they need to do in six months, they're certainly not going to do it in a year. Mm-hmm. At that point, then it needs to be looked at about TPR happening a lot sooner a lot sooner because you know there are families out there we've had children up to six years in our care and then go on to adoption well after six years you know that's traumatizing to them yes you're already their parents yes basically all right amy what would you do (laughs) (laughs) so i mean obviously whatever you know what the ladies have said before me are definitely huge priorities i also think that um when we talk about placement not knowing you know how much you can handle and all of that we have to realize that every time a child is moved it delays them it traumatizes them it um you know we've had a lot of children even the ones that we have adopted who have been in homes like seven different homes and they're mm. 18 months old and coming to us. And so, you know, I would love to see that the placement process change too. I think when you when you when the child is placed, really we need to be upfront and honest because they want we they don't want this child to come back because then guess what they're going to have to place this child with another home so what what we need to do is be upfront and honest and say okay this is what we have because we obviously when we sign up we're told what can you handle and what can you not handle Mm -hmm. i'm not going to know if you can't tell me um what the child has already been through um and so i think starting with placement is huge Um, We've seen it Um, when you get a child that has been in another home for a week or two 
and then they come to you, you're starting all over with that child. You're starting all over with trust. It's going to make it harder for them to trust you because what if they do something wrong? Where am I going to go to next? Right. Um, you know, and the ultimate goal is getting these kiddos permanency. The permanency is huge. But it's not taken seriously. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in Tennessee, I hate to bring this back up, but our kiddos in Tennessee were in um, in care, per mm -hmm. se, for 523 days and 563 days. Our adoption here was 1,528 days. So you see the huge, you yes. know, the huge difference, and you wonder what's what's going on what's happening how can we fix it mm -hmm. and i think sometimes listening to actual foster parents and listening to actual adoption families who have done this um who are doing this are the ones that you need to really talk to mm -hmm. i mean you can look at your statistics all you want to and you can um look at all the numbers but going back to it, the ultimate goal, especially all of us, we all know this, is the child's best interest. Correct. What is going to happen to this child? Are they going to be in a safe, happy, healthy home? Exactly. exactly. And I also would like to see them implement something for these children, especially the older ones, the mental health. Because I've been to some of these DSS offices and where they put these children while they're waiting placement is horrible mm -hmm. I mean you know and you're taking them there to be placed somewhere else and they're already traumatized you know where is the social workers that can start with the mental health aspect of it and you know tell them it's all going to be okay you know you know give them some hope Right. Because some of these children when they first come to you they lash out they're angry they're mad they're bitter. They they want to destroy things because they don't know what to expect. Right. Well, I'm nominating all three of y'all for a job. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fixed tomorrow. <laughs> but we all know that the church, capital C, um, is commanded to take care of the orphans and widows. And James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, to me, this could be a, a two-part sermon on each piece of that, but I want us to just talk about the first part. So from your perspective, how good of a job is the church doing in this arena? And then what could we do better? So I'm going to address that to Lacey first. So we have had some experiences with the church um, over the last eight years in our, um, as we've been fostering. Um, for the longest time, we moved out, you know, like 40 minutes away from what was our home church. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, we were looking for a church closer to home because I think everybody knows when you have little kids getting anywhere on time is <laughs> that's a whole other thing so <clears throat> looking for a church closer to home became a top priority but finding a church that lovingly accepted children that were coming from traumatic backgrounds 
without casting them aside or not wanting their children who have only ever been in the church. Um, We heard time and time again, I don't want my kids exposed to what they know. Mm. Because as we all know, sitting here, your kiddos coming in from these traumatic backgrounds, they're just going to tell you what they know. They're going to tell you what they've lived. They have lived a completely different way than people in the church. So when you have people in the church that are pushing the orphans away because they don't want their children tainted by the negative things that these children have experienced at no fault of their own, then the church is failing in Mm -hmm. a huge way. We felt pushed out of many churches that we visited over a course of time. And we ended up deciding that it was just worth it to drive the 40 minutes to church every Sunday to have our children involved in a community of believers that love the Lord and love people regardless of their background, regardless of the junk or the trauma. And that is where we've chosen to stay and raise our family. Um, Mm. It was very discouraging and very disheartening. It was hard to not become frustrated with God (laughs) in the middle of trying to find a church home for our family because at night I would just cry out and pray, Lord, these are your people in these walls. Where's the love? Where's your love emanating from them? I don't see it. I surely don't see it. And if I don't see it, then my children don't feel it, and I'm not going to expose them to that. So it's been very upsetting and very frustrating. I think that a lot of foster families feel the same way. I know several foster families I could name off the top of my head in the Midlands area that used to be churched and are now unchurched because they feel cast out. Wow. That is a sad story. That is really sad. So the church could do a lot. I think that um, it would serve the church well to have foster families come in and educate the congregation Mm -hmm. as a whole Mm -hmm. um, so that they would know how can we lovingly embrace these children um, coming into care. I can tell you right now, most foster families will tell you we don't want another meal delivered to our doorstep. We want our kids to be loved. Mm. That's great. Great advice. Amy? So I would say you're, I get most people say, well, I can't open up my home. You can do so much more than open up your home. And the church is called, mm-hmm. Jesus calls upon the believers to serve those kiddos, the women, the men, whoever. And, you know, we come, I have been blessed um, by a great village at church. (laughs) Um, I am in Sunday school with some great people. So um, I have been super blessed because um, when I call upon call upon the sorry the Sunday school class I mean they have held me just to cry they've prayed they've called and prayed they've prayed over my children 
Um, even when Casey and I were in Tennessee and weren't even a part of the church that we are now, um, we would get, because my, hus- you know, my husband's family goes there, we would get calls, text messages, emails about just the outpouring love that, I mean, just a prayer, you know, just um, telling them, telling us that they know, you know, we love you. We're here for you if you need us, um, you know, and loving the kiddos. We are broken as people. Mm-hmm through our salvation with Jesus and our relationship and going to church and learning about him, you know, the children that are coming are just normal people like us. And sometimes we do have those frustrations of, you know, kiddos that, um, you know, are broken and they don't want to be, they don't want them to be exposed or however that is. Um, I have been fortunate or not that I have not had that. I do want to share, we had a little boy that came and was um, just a couple of nights with us, and um, it was a Saturday night, we got him, and some, I mean, he came at like 2 o'clock in the morning, but God was nudging me to take him to church Sunday morning, I still get goosebumps, and we took him to church, we were talking about it on the way, my husband had to work, he's like, church, what's church? Mm. And my kids were like, that's where you're going to learn about Jesus. I'm sorry. It's okay. More tears. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so important. But just sitting at the red light and listening Mm. to this little boy who's five, who's never heard about church and Jesus, and knowing that I could have slept in on my couch, I could have chose the easy route, of not having to get all these kids, five kids up and ready and taking them to church. Um, And then him going in and then coming back out, he had this cute little picture that they had colored and he had, and um, the first thing he said was, I can't wait to show my mom and teach my mom about Jesus. Oh, that is precious. And I just sat there and I was like, yep, you brought me and are teaching me exactly what foster care is all about and how it's going to intertwine with Jesus and God and the church and, you know, um, all of that. But I think the church is called to do um, a lot. And as far as um, I think there needs to be more with the foster parents um, doing, um, you know, just even sessions like talking to them about foster care and adoption. And I think the misconception is um, with adoption that the trauma stops and it doesn't. You're almost just in the healing phase. It comes back. But I think talking about it among the church has them to understand why you're in church mm-hmm. and why you need the Holy Spirit and you need Jesus. Very good. All right. Well, and I tend to agree with Amy because a lot of people I hear, well, I couldn't adopt because I'm going to get attached or I can't stand to see them go back. Or what if I adopt this child and later on there's something wrong with them? What if they have ADD? What if they have ADHD? Well, you know, what if? What if later on I get cancer? You know, what if I get something else? Are you going to cast me out because I have this? Mm-hmm. You know, God loves us regardless of what we have or what we've done, as long as we repent. 
So I think taking these children in and the church needs to see these children as, you know, I guess I was brought up to believe that my parents were not my parents. They were my guardians, so to speak. I called them mom and dad and everything. But I have a loving grandmother that taught me I didn't belong to them. Mm. I belong to God. Mm. And that's powerful. That mm-hmm. is so powerful. So the church has a great opportunity to step in, support, um, train. You know, even even your child care workers on Sunday morning, you know, need to know a little bit about the kids that are coming to them, whether they're um, foster kids or, or not. But especially the foster children who sometimes are just temporary and they might only see them one Sunday. But the power and the impact that they can have on their lives is it's just incredible. So. We're going to wind this up, and if anyone listening today would be interested in becoming a foster parent, what would you tell them to do first? They need to reach out to Heartfelt Calling. Heartfelt Calling. Heartfelt Calling. Okay. That is where everybody gets started in South Carolina. Um, The people there are wonderful. They will hold your hand and walk you through the entire process from beginning to end. Um, There is a lot of paperwork to fill out there are inspections that you go through um, lots of hoops and hurdles but it's all worth it and that one beginning point is where you start and you move on from there gotcha and what we'll do in the show notes for the podcast is put that link there for you to go to heartfelt calling um, to be able to start the process if you are interested Um, and then if you're not interested in being a foster parent but you're just interested in just jumping to adoption and you uh, want to do that there's also a process for that so do either of you know if they don't want to go the foster route where do they go for adoption Um, there is an adoption site however it's very difficult to to get into um i was actually told when we filled out our foster things that they will not take applications at this time for children less than five years old because there's so many children out there on the adoption site that just want a home they just want a family so i would encourage adoptions of older children and you know if anybody's considering being a foster family you know i think all three of us would say come spend a weekend with us <laughs> come hang you know, out <laughs> it, and, you know you know come see what it's like mm. it's really no different than your own family gotcha all right was well, there anything else that i didn't cover or we didn't cover that you would like to share with our audience and before we conclude with prayer I think if you're thinking of fostering, you need to come with an open heart, an open mind, and have a village. There is no way you can get through foster care and adoption without having a great support system, wherever you find that support system, whether it's your church, um, your friends, your family. Um, I think a lot of people make the decision to do it and, and don't really include their family sometimes. 
And I don't know what I would have done on this journey without family, friends, yeah. our church, um, each other, yes. yeah, each the other network of foster families. I'll Get to the know first other foster families. families. Yes, quickly. Yeah, and I will be the first one to say, you know, my parents were totally against us doing this, but the Lord just kept saying, you've got to do this. Mm -hmm. You don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we have an article coming out in the... Um, fall winter um, issue of Living Real Magazine of a couple who started fostering at 60. And it is just amazing to watch the attitude and hearts of some of our older adults who want to give back um, in that season of life. So can't wait for you to read that article. And I think it goes along with what we're talking about today. So um, thank you all for joining me for this very interesting and very necessary discussion today. And I would love to pray for you and your families before we end. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, just for this um 45 minutes to an hour that we've had to sit around this island in my home and and talk about children. Father, you love children. And um, as I've um, been impressed upon my reading your word over the last several weeks, Father, and to understand that children are one of the ways that you silence the enemy, it just um, impresses on me even more, Lord, how important it is that we protect children all ages. And Father, I thank you for um, these ladies sitting in front of me, for Amy, for Lacey, for Debbie, and for so many other families, Lord, that are um, involved in fostering. I thank you for agencies that work outside of DSS. I thank you for those in DSS who are um, looking out for the betterment of children and, and that the children come first. And Lord, I just pray that in South Carolina that you would bring answers. You would bring people to help um, change the system for the better where um, children do not have to spend so much time in foster care, but that they will be able to have forever families, Father. And I pray for Christians to step up to the plate, Lord. We want these children to know you. We want these children to be loved and to be cared for, but we want them ultimately to understand who their father is, who their creator is, who their savior is. And Lord, I thank you that the children in these homes are learning that. They are getting um, that, that extra, Father, and understanding about how to deal with situations that don't sound so great, Father, but you are right there. You are there with them. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to um, help these children to grow up in the wisdom and the knowledge and the admonition of you. And... Um, that you would give these families an extra measure of your grace, your mercy, and your love to complete the work that you have begun in them. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So that concludes our time together, and until next time, let's keep it real for Jesus' sake. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Living Real Podcast. I hope you've been encouraged today to draw closer to Christ through His Word, to pray for a heart that's fully devoted to Him, and to engage with your circle of influence as you seek to live like Christ. 
I'm already looking forward to our time together next month. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Living Real Mag, and visit our website at www.livingrealmag.com. Until next time, we are in your corner cheering you on to live real for Jesus' sake.